Hello, and welcome to the Faith Church Podcast channel. We exist to reach people and connect them to God and others. If you would like more information about Faith Church or would like to schedule a visit sometime, visit our website at www.igotofaith.com. We can only do what we do because of the generosity of our Faith Church family. If you would like to contribute to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at www.igotofaith.com and hit the giving tab. Or you can text the amount of your contribution to 84321. Both of these options will send you to a safe and secure server. Your giving is much appreciated. Now, get ready as our lead pastor, Steve Husky, continues with part three of our series, God at the Box Office. Hey everybody today. Man, I just got to say this out of the gate. We believe that Jesus changes everything. You know, if you're here and some of you guys, as you're singing that with us, and we hope you are, that that's a declaration that maybe you've been in a season in your life or you found out about God's grace and his power. and Like that's what you sing because that's where you've been. For some of us, it's a, uh, it's a confession that we're just believing in the middle of maybe some seasons and some issues and some stuff that we're in. We're just believing that God is going to change things because that's his promise. Can we just give a mighty shout all over this room one more time to honor God and his grace and his power? Well, listen, my name is Steve Husky. I'm the lead pastor. We just want to say welcome to all of our Faith Church family. For all of you, this is home base. We're glad that you're here this weekend. And we want to say welcome again to all of our first-time guests and people who are coming back. We're glad that you're here and decided to worship with us. And again, it's our hope and it's our prayer that you will encounter that Jesus changes everything. So, well, listen, um, some of you guys know it. I said it last week, but I came back from vacation. And, um, you know, growing up on, in the north in Ohio, we used to go to the east coast, go to Myrtle Beach and it was uh, kind of a long trip, a lot of times 11, 12, sometimes 13 hours, depending on what beach you would go to. And uh, I got to tell you, man, I'm kind of loving being in Bama. I mean, first of all, I love Bama, but being six hours from the beach is a good thing. But I found out some of you guys have way more money than I do. Like, it's crazy. Like, every time there's a long weekend, half of you go to the beach and just make the run down. And so I'm, I'm glad you guys get that chance. We've, um, we've been to Panama City, been to Gulf Shores this past year. We got to go with the big rollers to Destin. It's like the other, the other Cancun. It was awesome. It was a great, it was a great time. But here's the thing with our, with my vacations is, um, is every year, again, for years and years, we went to Myrtle Beach. Now for the last four or five, we've gone down to, um, gone down to the Gulf is generally we don't go alone. Anytime we go on vacation, it's always a family vacation. And I don't mean my wife and I and our kids. I mean, my, me, my kids, my wife and her family. And I have a great family and I love them very much. And <laughs> I'm always thankful that we get to go. But <laughs> here's what's funny is when you go on vacation, you know, it's just kind of your little, your little tribe, your little core. It's, it's something manageable. But when we go, typically we go with her mom and her stepdad, and she has three siblings, and oftentimes at least some of them or all of them go, and most of them have kids. So it can be sometimes be 15 or 20 people, and we stay in one place, typically one condo, like five bedrooms. And so here's the thing is when you get all these people together, it's kind of tough because you're trying to manage everybody's expectations and everybody's schedule. And sometimes I wrestle with going on vacation with so many people because I want things my way. I want to go to dinner when I want to go to dinner, where I want to go to dinner, and I don't want to go with 15 people because it's a three-hour wait. So sometimes it's hard, right? This past year, well, actually this happens every year. Um, <laughs> 
when we go with a family, there's always a master bedroom, right? In the, in the condo, in the house, there's one master. And it's called the master because the master should be there. I mean, I... And it's, it's always the biggest bed and the, the most spacious room. And the bathroom normally has like a jacuzzi tub. And so every year we get there and nobody knows who's staying in what bedrooms. And there's always kind of this tension. And I'm going to be honest. Every year I want the master bedroom. I want it. I worked hard. I deserve it. And there's always this tension. Who's going to get it? So we get there this year. And no one else was there but Shauna's brother and wife and us. We were the first two families there. So there was this debate, you know, who's going to get the master bedroom? So like... I'm honest. I, I just wanted to say it's mine, but I'm not going to be that bullish. So she, his, her sister-in-law actually made a suggestion and said, hey, let's draw names for it, which I thought, doesn't that sound fair? Which my wife, who is way more amenable than I am, she looks at them and says, y'all can have it. We don't have to draw names. I'm like, no. Like I'm, like, I'm looking at her like, and it doesn't matter. She just gave it away. And, you know, I, I kind of had a bad attitude the first day. But this was a good year. This was a good year. Wasn't a lot of drama. And here's why. This, here's why. is because a lot of times, again, I just want things my way. And I have this big crybaby on the inside of me that's kicking and screaming to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And when people don't kind of bend my way, I get a little bit of an attitude. Don't say a word. And so what I found is that, that our vacations are normally the, the most relaxing um, when I'm not pushing to have things my way. And so what we're going to find is that this character that we're going to talk about today in our movie uh, Cars, because we're in the middle of this series entitled God at the Box Office. If you're new here, what this is about is about looking at movies that are kind of popular in, um, in our culture and pulling out some biblical principles. And so today we're looking at a movie Cars, it's been out for a period of time, 11, 11 years, is that right? I think I said 21 years, the first service. It's been out, I believe, 11 years. And so, but what we find right in this first scene that we're going to watch is the main character is a lot like you and I, at least a lot like me, in that he wrestles with pride. He's kind of got this ego, he's kind of got this attitude, and because of his attitude, what should be a win in the final race of the year in the Piston Cup series, he should be the champion, but he's gloating because he's made it clear that he's fired three crew chiefs. His pit crew's telling him he needs to come in and change tires, but he refuses to listen to anybody. So he blows his tires and ends up coming in a three-way tie with the two other main characters in the story. But watch this clip real quick. Again, like Lightning McQueen, all of us here, we have a little bit of pride. If we're honest, we all wrestle with that tension of wanting it, us in the middle, our way all the time. In fact, when we look around, it's, it's pretty rampant in the society we live in. In fact, you know, if you ask the question, how many of you here know somebody? I'm not asking you to raise your hands, but you know somebody, or maybe you're the person that's always right. Nobody can ever tell you you're wrong. Nobody can ever challenge you. You're always right. It's always your opinion. It's always what you think. You know what's behind that is pride. It's P-R-I-D-E. It's pride. Some of us, we know people, and it's, it's all about them. It's all about what they want. The world revolves around them. They never bend to anybody else. They never give in to anybody else. They ne- like it's, you have to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Again, what is behind that is pride, P-R-I-D-E. We know people who are above the law, above the rules. It's like the rest of the, you know, kind of the rules don't apply to them at work. The laws don't apply to them in society. Like it's just what they want. Again, what's behind that is pride, P-R-I-D-E. Some of us, we know people that it's their life on display. In fact, you Look at the term social media. I think it's true because it's all about me. 
It's all about who they are. It's all about celebrating their accolades, their new thing, their new outfit. It's all about their selfies. We're a selfie generation. We're in the middle. And again, pride has been an issue in the heart of humanity for a long time, almost since the very beginning. But I'm convinced as you look around, and I think maybe you are too, that we're all honest in this room that we all wrestle with pride. We all wrestle with wanting to be right, wanting to be first, wanting it our way. But I think, isn't it true that it's kind of more this way now than ever? We live in the age of arrogance. Like this world is full of ego maniacs. It's an attitude. It's the me mentality. And you have to ask, like, where is this coming from? What's, What's behind it? Well, you can recognize it because you can always recognize pride because it has I in the middle. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. It's all about my way. It's all about my opinion. And maybe you're that person, and maybe I can be honest and say at times, I'm that person. And again, I wrestle with it. And the reason we have to talk about this today is because I believe with all of my heart that it's pride, it's this arrogance, it's this me mentality that really is wrecking culture and society. I think politics are out of control because there can be no discourse. When you're right, when the right is right and the left is right, when libertarians are right, when Democrats are right, when Republicans are right, nobody talks, nobody bends anybody else's way. And so there's no discourse, there's nobody talking back and forth because everybody's right, it's all about pride. We see it, I think, in just the way we serve each other. There's a decline in our culture of people serving and giving and helping. In fact, some of you have seen maybe videos that have gone viral over the last couple of years. They pop up all the time. Somebody drops down with a heart attack and people literally stepping over them on the streets of New York because, again, why? It's, I don't have time for that person. I'm too important to help that person. I'm too up to bend down and, and be what somebody else needs. Again, what is behind that and this decline of culture is pride. Again, it's the age of arrogance that we live in, this posture of pride that so many people have that, It's just about you. It's just your world. It's just your way. It's just what you want. I'm convinced as I stand here today that behind a lot of financial challenges that a lot of people face in our culture is pride because we refuse just to be outdone. We would never say that, and you may not even think that that's how you would articulate it, but a lot of times we outspend what we have because we don't want outdone. Someone else gets a car, we have to have a car. If our, if our kid's friend got a new cell phone, we don't want our kid left out, so we buy them the best and the brightest and the newest, and we're outspending ourselves, and we're spending more than we have, and we're putting ourselves in financial jeopardy. Why? For pride. That we shop the best brands, not because they're better, but because of what they say. A lot of times it's relationships. You know, the reality of relationships is it takes people coming together in agreement It takes people bending and yielding to each other to be friends, to be in a marriage, to be in a relationship. And I'm just telling you, listen, that if you are in the middle of a broken relationship, if you will trace it back to its root, you will find, you know what? Pride, P-R-I-D-E. You can always recognize pride because it has I in the middle. It's all about what you want. And so you have to understand this right from the gate that God's word has a ton to say about the issue of pride And anytime you take the ride of pride, it always ends bad. In fact, here's four scriptures real quick that God says, this is where pride will take you. Proverbs 11, 2, I want you to shout these with me. Pride leads to disgrace. Proverbs 13, 10, pride leads to conflict. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction. And the last one, Proverbs 29, 23, pride ends in humiliation. 
Now, the reality is I know in my own journey, in my own story, and some of you have seen in your own life or in other people's lives where this has been true, where people who held on to the posture of pride, it always ends bad, it always wrecks marriages, it always causes trouble in relationships, it causes culture to break down. I'm telling you, it's hurting the church when it's all about me, when I have to be in the middle, when light has to be on me, it has to be what I want. And so what you find is, as we step into the second scene of our movie in Cars, is this guy, Lightning McQueen, he's on his way to the kind of the tiebreaker race, and he gets in trouble, gets caught up in this little city called Radiator Springs. He's caused some havoc. Some of you have seen the movie. And this other car figure in the movie, Doc, he's the judge in this little city, Radiator Springs, and he makes sure that Lightning McQueen has to stay and fix his mess. But while he's there... Doc recognizes, because he used to have it in his heart, that he's got a pride issue. He's got an arrogance issue. And so he challenges Lightning McQueen, one of the fastest cars on the circuit, to a race. He's this old guy, this old car. But he knows he can beat Lightning McQueen because Lightning McQueen has an attitude. He's got some pride. And so he challenges him to a race and says, hey, if you beat me, you don't have to fix the road. But if I beat you, you've got to stay and fix it right. And they end up racing. Lightning McQueen loses to Doc, an older car, because, again... He just doesn't have the humility to see that he can't win the way he races. And so here in this scene, you're going to see Lightning McQueen's trying to figure out, like, how does he fix it? He's only focused on himself. He's only focused on what he thinks. And he's trying to figure out how to make this turn. Check it out. Here's a question for everybody is who has the right to speak into your life? Who has the right to call you? Who has the right to have a conversation with you? Who can talk to you that you'll listen to that when you're about to miss the mark, when you're in a bad situation, when you're getting ready to step into something that's going to end bad, who can challenge you on that? Ultimately for us, we come back to our relationship with God. And here's why pride is so bad is because the reason pride is your enemy is because it makes you an enemy of God. Think about that for a minute, that statement. The Bible says it this way. This is, I think, pretty huge. God opposes the proud. Everybody say this. God opposes the proud. God stiff arms the proud, the arrogant but he gives grace to the humble. See, here's the reality is that God will never take second place in anybody's heart or life. He said it right in the beginning to some of the first relationship he was in. Adam and Eve, he recognized that he had to take first place in their decisions. Later on, he told us in the Ten Commandments right from the gate that God said, I'm not going to have any other gods. You can't have anybody else more important than me. But you know, often what we do is we elevate ourselves above God. We put ourselves in the place of God in our heart. But really the challenge is this, when you look at this scripture, is that God opposes, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. That the only way you come into a relationship with God is to recognize that you need help from God. That God starts his journey in your heart with grace, which has to begin with you saying, I need help, I need forgiveness, I need strength, I need joy, that there's things in this life that are too big with me. And if you can never admit that you need help, if you're too proud to bend the knee to Christ, then God will never be a part of your life because God opposes, resists, stiff arms the proud. Think about the life that we're in, the journey we're in, and all of us, we make mistakes, don't we? We all mess up, we all fall short. So we need people that can challenge us. We need people that can see our weak spots. We need people that can see what we don't see. The truth is that Oftentimes, you don't have the best view to the situation you're in. Sometimes it's your best friend. Sometimes it's your spouse. Sometimes it's your small group that can look at a situation you're in, a decision you're about to make, and tell you, hey, that's a bad relationship. That's a bad issue. That's a bad deal. And so here's why pride is such a big deal. The reason pride is so dangerous, it excludes you from any correction or direction. 
If you got it all figured out, if you're always right, if it's always about you, then nobody can tell you you're wrong. Nobody can tell you it's going to end bad. Nobody can tell you that the path you're on, the road you're on, the decision you're about to make, the relationship you're about to get in, no one can tell you no. And so the reason it's so dangerous is because no one has access to help you be better. The Bible tells us the way we live this life is to get wise, is to be able to make good decisions in every area. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Proverbs. Proverbs 4, 7, it says, getting wisdom, come on, say this, is the wisest thing you can do. What's the wisest thing you can do? Let's get wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to make right decisions at the right time. Where does that come from, right? Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Where does good wisdom come from? Well, I've got news for you. You weren't born with it. I know we feel that way because you come into this world and we start thinking we're smarter than people, especially than our parents, you figure out you're smart when you start asking your parents for advice. That's when you've arrived. But we've kinda, we just feel like, again, we exclude ourselves. This posture of pride that we don't need anybody's input. We don't need anybody telling us what to do. We don't need anybody telling us we're wrong. But when you do that, again, the reason pride is so dangerous, it excludes you from correction and direction. It excludes you from wisdom because wisdom, you're not born with it. Wisdom comes from, there's several places, but I'll give you five real quick. Five places that you get wisdom. It's not natural. It's not inherent. You're not born with wisdom. Wisdom comes from five places. Number one, experience. As you live life and you make good decisions, bad decisions, you see how they turn out and you learn from it. Nothing wrong with experience, but it's not the best way to learn because it's often a painful process. Because typically we make bad mistakes and then learn and try to do better. Can I just get an amen? Y'all need to make some noise. So experience is okay. It's just not the best way. Second way you can get wisdom is by studying. Right? You can learn from other people, learn, read books, go to school, and you can learn to make better decisions on the front end. As a Christ follower, if you're here and you've given your life to Christ, there's three primary means, the first two count, but three primary means that God uses to direct and correct our life. Number one, Scripture. God uses His Word to speak into our life, our situation, to let us know His will, His plan, His purpose, so we can follow it, so we can have God's best. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. Everybody say profitable. God says it's a benefit for you to listen and to hear my word. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction in righteousness. God is saying, you want to know how to live? My perfect plan for your life is found in my word. But have you ever read anything in the Bible and said, no, I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm not praying for my enemy. I'll pray for him. God, strike him dead. I'll pray for him. We read things about relationships. We read things about generosity in Scripture, and we reject it because of pride. God speaks to us through the Spirit of God. If you're here and you're a Christ follower, I got really great news, and you probably already know this, but God promised not just to be with you but in you. And he told us that the Spirit of God, he said, he, Jesus said when he's leaving, he said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you in truth. That this really great news is you don't have to live life alone because as you navigate relationships, as you navigate challenges, as you navigate temptations, what we talked about last week, that the hope is that we have a helper, the Holy Spirit, that will help us navigate decisions. And we've all felt his presence, right? We've all felt the whisper when he's trying to pull us in a direction or trying to warn us of a situation or trying to inspire us to an opportunity or to a decision. And God said it's the Spirit of God that leads and guides us. But you know what? The Bible also talks about us quenching the Spirit. When we say no to God, when we are on the ride of pride and decide to do things our way, 
One of the best ways are those two is through Scripture and the Holy Spirit. But one of the ways that all of us, whether you're a Christ follower or not, if you're here and you're not a religious person, this is true for all of us, is one of the ways we learn to make decisions is by really good friends, godly friends, godly counsel. The Bible says it this way, that there is in the multitude of counsel with a lot of people speaking in your situation, there's safety, there's, there's wisdom. The Bible says it this way, listen to this, in Hebrews chapter 3, read this with me, it says, you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. So the challenge is this, right? Like, if I'm right all the time, then you can't tell me I'm wrong. Friends can't tell me I'm wrong. The Bible can't tell me I'm wrong. The Holy Spirit can't tell Because I got life figured out. I know what I'm doing, when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it. You can't tell me the relationship's wrong. You can't tell me my journey's wrong. Because pride puts me in the middle. It's all about the I. And so if you're here and you're wrestling with pride, the reason the ride of pride ends badly is because you can never be corrected. You can never be instructed. You can never be shown that where you're headed, how you're getting there is not going to end well. And I'm just telling you, everybody sometimes needs to make an adjustment and a turn. And it's pride that will cause you to resist it. It's pride that will shut down the voice of a friend, of the Holy Spirit, of a pastor, of God's word. It's pride that shuts down the thing that will help us to make the right decision. So as we look real quick at this last movie clip from the movie, we find Lightning McQueen towards the end of the movie. He figures it out. Through his time in Radiator Springs, he kind of starts to break the spirit of pride in his own heart and he starts to humble himself. He takes some instruction from Doc. And you're going to see right here in this scene where before doing things his own way would have turned out badly, he takes some advice from Doc on how to get out of a bad turn. And actually it elevates to the next level. What happens? Here's the question. What happens if you would allow yourself to be humble? If you died to pride, we see what happens with Lightning McQueen. Watch this. Growth in our spiritual journey is measured not by scales. Think about a lot of things that we measure in life. It's measured by different metrics. Our 401k, how is it doing? We want to check the bottom line. How's our weight doing? We want to check the scale. But spiritual growth is measured by change. That how we measure how we're doing in our spiritual journey, it's not how much you come to church. Really how we measure how we're doing in our walk with Christ in our spiritual journey is how we're changing. That as we develop, as we grow in our faith, our goal is to become like Jesus, isn't it? Like as we look at situations, what would Jesus do? How would, how would Jesus handle this situation? How would, he, how would he handle this relationship? What would he do? And so that's our goal. That's my goal. That's yours. And so we measure our success. We measure our journey. We measure it. True spiritual growth is measured by change. But again, if, if you are on the ride of pride, then nobody can tell you're wrong. You will never change. And if you're not changing, you're not growing. And so we got to pull back because pride, it doesn't just keep us from growing, keeps us really from going. If our journey is to change and grow, again, we do that by being challenged, by being sometimes rebuked. Somebody told us, hey, we're not in a good path. We're not about to make a good decision. But one more thing I want to show you is, again, this, this journey that we're on, it's not just about change. It's taking us somewhere. Really, where we're called to go is serving people, loving people, helping people, making an influence and an impact in this world. That's why society, the culture that we live in, this egomaniac world is on a downward trend because everybody's turning inward. Everybody's making life just about them. And so you see that this conversation happens several times that Jesus, for three years, he's investing his life in his followers and his disciples. 
it's like they don't get it, sometimes like me. And so Jesus has to answer this question, has to answer this debate several times. But we see it right here. They're kind of hanging out with Jesus, and this is what the disciples are talking about. Then they began to argue amongst themselves, who would be the greatest among them? Like, it's what I want. It's when I want it. It's how I want it. Pride is recognized because it has I in the middle. And man, they're eaten up with pride. And I think Jesus has got to be frustrated because he's like, wait a minute, if you've been watching me, it's not about me because Jesus gets up early in the morning and he made his life about people. He went out in the heat of the sun and he taught people. He went out and he touched people that were untouchable. He loved people that were unlovable. His life was all about other people. And so he looks at his disciples who are arguing about who's the greatest and he says this, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like a servant. What he's saying is, you can never be like me with an attitude of pride. In a posture of pride, being an egomaniac will keep you from being like me. So Paul, recognize that you wrestle with this, that I wrestle with it. So he says this in Philippians chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Everybody shout that. Don't be, it can't be your way, what you want, when you want it, how you want it. You can't be in the middle and be like Christ. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of ourselves as better than yourselves. He says, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So he's saying, hey, be humble. Like you got to deal with this issue. And ultimately, Paul points to Jesus. You want to think the way Jesus thought. You want to have the same mind that Christ had. And he goes on, he tells us very clearly the mind and the heart that Jesus had. And this is our goal. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to be grasped. Jesus, the Son of God, was God in the flesh. If anybody had a right to be elevated, if anybody had a right to be in the middle, it was him. But this is what it says about Jesus. Instead, read it with me, he gave up his divine privileges. And he took a humble position as a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So again, pride will not just keep you from growing, it'll keep you from going, because this world, we're called to serve each other. So here's a question in your home. What would happen if you allowed humility to come into your marriage? Because I have been in the place where I've disagreed with my spouse, and I was in the basement, in the bedroom, in the garage, where I knew I was wrong, and the problem wasn't that I knew I was wrong, it's that I just didn't want to go admit that I was wrong. Hello, anybody? What would happen if you allowed humility in your relationship with your kids? Because here's what I also figured out is even though I'm the parent, even though I'm older, even though I've been around longer, I still don't know it all. And sometimes my kids are right. What would happen if this church was flooded with humility that we put ourselves second over the other people that showed up in this building? It's not about what I want, not about how I want. I'm here to serve people and see people come to Christ. What would happen in our culture? What would happen here in Florence, Alabama? What would happen in Lawrenceburg? What would happen in Muscle Shoals? What would happen in Tuscumbia? What would happen in Roswell? What would happen in St. Florian? What would happen if you, in your world, in your workplace, in your culture, instead of the ride of pride, you allowed humility to bleed through your life? We would be like Christ, and we would be growing, and we would be going. C.S. Lewis said it this way, that humility is not thinking less of yourselves. It's thinking of yourselves less. So you're important. Jesus died for you to tell you how important you are. He died for you to show you your value. 
But to really find your value, man, you got to separate yourself. I have to separate myself from being an egomaniac and growing by change and going the direction God wants me to go. And pride will keep you from that journey. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that God, all of us in this room, would just have a heart check. God, pride is so subtle, but God, when it shows up, it's so clear. And so, Lord, I pray in our marriages, our homes, our churches, ultimately in our walk with you, that, God, you would show us where we've been proud and arrogant. And that, God, we would bow our knee. We would humble ourselves before you. God, you said when we do that, when we do that, that God, you'll pour out grace. So I just want to give you just a moment, just a moment with your eyes closed, just a moment with your head bowed for you. Just ask God for grace. Just to say, God, I just, I let go of pride. I let go of me. It being about me, me being right, the world revolving around me. With every head bowed, every eye closed, listen, as we close this service, again, the Bible makes it really clear that our spiritual journey begins with humility, recognizing we need a Savior, recognizing that we are sinners, recognizing that God willingly gives us grace if we'll ask. So all across this room, or if you're watching online, if you're here today and you've never said yes to God's grace, you've never bowed the knee to Christ, I just want to give you an opportunity to say yes. I'm going to close us in prayer. If you want included in this prayer, if you want to say yes, right where you are, I just want you to lift a hand real high and say, Pastor Steve, pray for me. Today I want to say yes to God's grace. Today I want to recognize that I need God in my life. I need him in my heart. I want you to throw a hand real high so I can see you all across this room. Come on, throw it real high. Thank you, 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 thank you. Thank you. A lot of hands. So we're going to pray this. The Bible says if you'll ask him, man, he'll, he'll hear you. He'll answer you. So I want every voice in this room, I want you to say this with me, especially if you lift a hand. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to save me, to forgive me, and to help me. I choose to surrender to you to make you the Lord of my life. Thanks for dying for me and saving me from my sin. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said amen. Can we lose our mind for about nine, ten people in this room?